This week on a very special episode of Excelsior Journeys, we're going to be looking forward for the next several weeks. We're going to be looking at some upcoming guests and a big event that I have coming up in August, as well as a free preview of the Excelsior audiobook. You're going to hear where the Excelsior Journeys namesake comes from, and you're going to hear chapter one for free. JLD, do the honors. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. Is there a burning desire within to share your creativity with the rest of the world? Do you insist on pursuing your passion by any means necessary? Then you are on an Excelsior journey, and you are not alone. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. This is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. Can't believe it's been over 90 episodes so far, and there's no stopping anytime soon. This week's show is going to be a little different. Let's start with what we're doing for the end of June through the end of July. Next week, my guest will be one of the great voice actors and voice teachers of our generation, Michael Bell. If you grew up in the 80s, as I did, then you've heard his very distinctive voice on Transformers, G.I. Joe, The Smurfs, and Voltron, Defender of the Universe, as well as many other animated series for the past several decades. He's also a character actor that's been active since the 1960s, and is also a voice director, a voice teacher, and an animal rights activist. And he's got an amazing story to tell about his journey to personal success, and I'm so excited that he's going to tell it here. And at the end of July, I'll be speaking with a longtime friend, Ryan Thompson, who is the chief communications officer of the Hole in the Wall Gang camp. This camp was founded in 1988 by Paul Newman with one simple premise in mind, to provide opportunities for children with serious illnesses to experience the transformational spirit and friendships that go hand in hand with camp. Ryan will be here to talk about how he started working with the camp, everything the camp offers, and how you can contribute to the camp's mission. Now, there's a big reason why Ryan will be here at the end of July. The week before, a five-episode miniseries celebrating the 35th anniversary of a milestone movie of my childhood and so many others, Transformers the Movie. And that reason is this. For each person associated with the movie that comes on the show throughout August, I will be donating $20 to the Hole in the Wall Gang Camp. So far, I have eight different people, those who worked behind the scenes and behind the microphones. And if they're all there, I'll be giving at least $160 to the camp. And if more are able to accept my invitations, then great. And if you'd like to join me on this month-long event, then please send me an email at george at he's got it.com for details. Now, I mentioned I have something really special for all of you for this week. Excelsior Journeys is less than 10 episodes away from reaching the big 100. And there's one journey that I feel needs to be shared, and that is the journey of Matthew Peters. Now, Matthew is the main character of my novels, Excelsior and Ever Upward, Part 2 in the Excelsior Journey, as well as the upcoming Greater Glory, Part 3 in the Excelsior Journey, I promise to my publisher, it is coming. Please. Um, you're, you have the patience of a saint, just letting you know. Um, Matthew was inspired by my cousin, Matthew Peter Henkel, whom I always consider to be a personal hero. He was diagnosed with Wilms tumor when he was two. The chemotherapy stunted his growth, so he never really grew beyond five feet. 
but he went on to become an Eagle Scout. He became a volunteer firefighter, and he even became an EMT. And when he passed away in March of 2005, the week before his 25th birthday, he had lived the most complete short life you've ever seen, even getting engaged a month before he left us. So back in 2008, when I was ready to write the first draft of Excelsior, I needed a name for my main character, and his name popped into my head. The Matthew Peters you will come to know in Excelsior is a combination of me and Matt. All the story writing instead of studying, the desk in the closet, the combination of stubbornness and self-doubt, that's all me. It's all in here. And the hero who doesn't think twice to help someone else, that's Matt. And both are on display in the first of this young adult sci-fi trilogy. And so my gift to all of you is chapter one of the Excelsior audiobook, which I narrated through August and September of 2017. For those of you who have never heard or read Excelsior, it's the story of Matthew Peters, an underachieving 17-year-old high school senior who spent the past seven years writing and drawing a webcomic about his character, Excelsior, which is the savior of a faraway planet named DNAP4. And just as the comic is starting to grab new readers, and Matthew is starting to feel some momentum building with his comic. He's visited by a beautiful older woman who tells him that she is from the planet DNAP4. And also, everything he has been writing and drawing are Excelsior's memories, and he's next in line to become him. And he has to do it fast because Excelsior's enemies are growing in power on both DNAP4 and Earth. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll begin this free preview of Excelsior. If you like what you hear, please don't hesitate to grab the ebook. It's on Amazon, it's on Barnes and Noble, it's on iTunes, it's on all the other ebook retailers. And if you get it from Amazon, you'll have access to the audiobook for a reduced price because it's part of what they call WhisperSync, which is you can get both the ebook and the audiobook in this really nice bundle and you'll pay a whole lot less money for both of them than you would for the ebook and then the audiobook later. And they also have a really cool feature where you can start reading the ebook and then put it down, start playing the audiobook, and you'll hear me picking up where you left off. How cool is that? Um, so, like I said, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, you're going to hear chapter one of the Excelsior audiobook for free. I hope you enjoy it. We'll be right back. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. If you've never been an Audible customer and want to see what they offer, just go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title for free, and start listening. It's that easy. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. And with this free 30-day trial, you'll have your pick of it all. You can hear books of all genres narrated by Jim Dale, Stephen Fry, Will Patton, Alex Hyde-White, Jeff Brick, Neil Shaw, William Demerit, and even a few by me, George Soroy. So go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and start your own 30-day journey with Audible today. By George He's Got It presents Excelsior. 
written and read by George Soroy. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1-5 through five. And in midst thereof was like an anvil of steel a foot on high, and therein stuck a fair sword naked by the point. And letters there were written in gold about the sword that said thus, Whoso pulleth out the sword of the stone and anvil is rightwise king born of all England. Sir Thomas Mallory, Le Morte Arthur, King Arthur, and the Legends of the Round Table. One day an Autobot shall rise from our ranks and use the power of the Matrix to light our darkest hour. Optimus Prime, Transformers the Movie. Chapter 1 What is he doing? Seminex pressed his forehead against the cool, smooth, Autorarian metal cell door. Through the one-inch-wide communication slot, his eyes, which still held a youthful spark despite his circumstances, sought and found the Crenation guard's gaze. This one must be new. He paid close attention to the guard's scaly neck and imagined his calloused hands squeezing. The cell this young Denarian called home was indicative of the Crenation Empire's lack of concern regarding the word comfort. It was nothing but a windowless, small, silver cube, with a thick layer of soot covering the door and walls. A slab of metal protruding from the wall to Seminex's right acted as a bed. The only illumination came from the light from the hallway peeking through the communication slot. The door had several small dents and scratches in it, and to its immediate right was a small hole that looked like the metal had been chipped away by nothing more than perseverance. The guard walked closer to the cell, and Seminex, his eye still on the crenation, pulled his arm back and slammed his fist against the door. The bang reverberated through the prison halls, and the guard froze in mid-step. Seminex flexed his fingers and shook off some soot that covered his hand. The satisfaction of once again unnerving a crenation overpowered the pain. He only wants to scare you. Seminex shifted his attention toward the larger crenation guard. He recognized this one, but he refused to know the guard's name. He refused to know any guard's name. He thought of this one only as Scar, after the long scar running down the left side of his face. The new guard peered into Seminex's cell and inhaled the air emanating from the food slot. Too bad the force field can't keep out the stink of these denarians. Seminex grew closer as he pulled his arm back, waiting. One step closer, he whispered. What did you say? The new guard asked while stepping forward, and Seminex once again gave the door a strong punch. He smiled, watching the crenation reach for the taser baton attached to his belt and gritting his razor-sharp teeth. Seminex found the perfect name for the easily rattled guard. Coward. Open this door, Coward yelled. Scar shook his head. Noctar wants him to stay in there. Why? Coward asked without turning away from Seminex. Why is he so special? You think we are supposed to know why? You are newer than I thought. 
Cowart smiled at the young denarian, and Semenex could smell his rancid breath coming through the communication slot. Such a shame. Would have loved to give you this. He held up a silver taser baton in front of the slot and pressed a button on the handle, releasing a small spark. Semenex crouched down, and once his eyes were away from the slot, he heard Coward laugh. Ha! Not so tough now. The denarian smiled and picked up one of several chunks of thick metal that lay below the hole that was now big enough for one hand. He stood and took a step back, once again meeting Coward's eyes. There you are, the crunation taunted. Keeping his gaze forward, Semenex reached back and threw the metal chunk against the door. It struck the dent in the direct center, and Coward took a step back in shock, then charged ahead, pushing his face against the communication slot. What are you doing in there, he yelled. He has something in there. Not worth the trouble, Scar said. The door has been sealed shut since he was a runt, and if he did open it, the force field would keep him from escaping. Semenex heard Scar tap the door with his taser and saw a familiar-looking yellow glow shine through the communication slot. Once the light from the force field faded, Semenex walked to the door and gave it another punch. Both crunations took a step back and Coward turned to Scar. And are we supposed to do nothing while he continues to punch the door? He motioned toward the other cell doors lining the walls. Not quite, Scar replied, and Semenek saw him reach for his holster and pull out a silver blade as long as Scar's forearm. The young denarian backed himself into a corner, and before covering his ears with his hands, he heard Scar say, This will keep them all on their best behavior. Scar struck his blade on the neighboring doors, and one painful scream after another echoed through the halls. The metal works as an amplifier, Scar shouted over the screams, as the two continued walking down the hall, smacking the doors with Scar's weapon as they passed them. Once they left his line of vision, Semenex crouched down, the bones in his knees cracking. He concentrated on the small hole on the right of the door. Semenex reached in, and his fingers touched a smooth and cool surface. He rubbed his fingertips against the many dents he had already created, sensing the slight vibration coming from the metal. The screams of the other Denarian prisoners continued as Scar smacked his weapon on another row of doors. Semenex pulled his right hand back, balled it into a fist, punched the metal, and waited for the expected footprints of Coward rushing back to see what he was doing. But all he heard was Scar's delightful banging against the door and the cries of agony from the Denarian prisoners. His brow furrowed as he pulled his fist back and struck the wall again, creating another dent. A wave of satisfaction washed over his body as he gave the metal another punch and felt the metal splinter. One more, he whispered, as he reached back and slammed his fist forward. He exhaled and smiled. It was giving way. The screams outside Semenex's cell began to fade. The young denarian pulled his arm out of the hole and examined his knuckles. They were bleeding, but he felt no pain. As the last scream faded into a pitiful moan, a defiant male voice echoed through the halls. Very soon, my brothers and sisters. Very soon the crunation's perversion of our planet will end. Their emperor, Nocturar, will fall to our protector, Excelsior. Who is that? Semenex heard Coward ask. The trembling in his voice had returned. Radifin, Scar growled. Hearing the sound of both Scar and Coward running down the hall and turning left toward a faraway cell, 
Semenex pushed his face against the communication slot. The voices of his fellow prisoners began to grow from a murmur to an excited chant. Radifin, Radifin. Radifin's sermon continued. He will return to his people and destroy them and the monstrosity we are being forced to create. You still wear this? Scar cut off Radifin. You have been told none of us want to see that symbol again. Even though he didn't see it, he knew exactly what the guard was talking about. The symbol in question was a circle with an open bottom and three lines within the circle connected to a pentagon-like shape, which resembled the sharp edge of a sword. It was the symbol that became a unanimous form of defiance against the Crunation Empire. The unmistakable sound of Scar's fist against the Denarian's face quieted the chanting from the neighboring cells. For a long moment, all was quiet. Semenex kept his eyes on the hallway, waiting for the Denarian with the long silver hair and wiry build. He waited to see that head held high, the determination in his eyes, and the smile he first saw so long ago, when Radifin looked into his cell and nodded while whispering, It is you. Instead, when the footsteps of the two Crunation guards alerted him, Semenek saw an old and frail denarian shuffling down the hall. Radifin's head hung down, his stringy silver hair curtaining the front of his face, his bony shoulders drooped. The symbol that looked to be drawn in his brown, rag-like shirt was torn in half by the guard, exposing his sunken and bruised chest. Was Radifin really this beaten figure allowing the Crunations to send him to work duty? Where was the defiance, the bravado? Where was the man who absorbed ten jolts from the guard's taser batons before he was incapacitated? Semenex tried to look into his eyes as he passed the hall. Was there a plan in progress? Was this a charade? Or had they finally broken him? The two guards stopped outside Semenex's cell. Stay in my sight, Scar instructed the new guard. I have to get Granik. Did he give you that scar? Coward asked. Scar grunted in reply, then pointed at Radifin. This one does anything, even move the hair from over his face, and you hit him with your taser. He is dangerous. This old man? Coward scoffed. Just do what I said, Scar said, marching down the hall again. Semenex allowed himself only a moment to worry as he resumed digging at the weakened metal. If the Crunations had broken Radifin's will, what did this mean for the rest of the prisoners? What did it mean for him? Even though he was separated from his people, Semenex knew the love and respect everyone had for this old man. Even the Crunations respected him. The young denarian squeezed his lips shut as he dug his fingernails into the crack and used his other hand to push against the wall. He fell back, tucking his chin into his chest as he struck the cold, hard floor. His right hand held onto a chunk of metal he wrenched from the wall. The metal slipped from his hand and fell to the floor. What are you doing in there? Coward yelled. Semenex quickly stood and pressed himself against the door again. He kept his eyes locked on Coward's, and when he did not answer, the guard's attention turned back towards Scar. Radifin looked up, glanced in Semenex's direction, and smiled. Semenex nodded, pulled his arm back, and punched the arterarian metal. Coward's head snapped back toward the cell, and he held up his taser. You should thank your fraud of a god that you cannot get out of there. Radifin straightened his lanky body and pushed his shoulders back. His eyes looked alive with defiance. 
Semenex watched with delight as Radifan's fist smacked against Coward's chin, knocking him to the ground. What are you doing? Scar yelled out from around the corner as Radifan relieved the unconscious Coward of his keycard, rifle, and taser. Semenex heard Scar's footprints getting louder. He quickly bent down and reached his right hand into the hole past the metal obstacle. He pushed his hand around until his fingertips rubbed against a button. Please, let this work, Semenex whispered through gritted teeth as he pushed the button. He pulled his arm back out and heard the rusty gears inside the wall squealing as they turned. Semenex looked at the bottom of the cell door and saw it start to rise. The light of the forest field flickered and died. The young denarian slid his fingers under the door and grunted while assisting the slow-pulling gears. Semenex ducked underneath the door and saw Scar running toward him and Radifan. Before Radifan could defend himself, Semenex lunged at the Crenation guard. He knocked the blade out of Scar's hand and pulled him to the floor, punching him repeatedly in the face, just like he spent so much of his life punching the cell wall. After several punches, Semenex wrapped his hands around Scar's neck and squeezed. The prison halls erupted with cheers as Semenex pushed the Crenation's limp body away and stood tall. He looked at his hands and saw the punches to Scar's face stained them with the brown blood of their captors. Radifan yelled to him, Younger than I thought. Semenek smiled back and saw a coward struggling to get to his feet. He pointed at the taser in Radifan's hand, and Radifan handed it to him. As the guard rose, Semenex quickly jabbed him in the side with the taser, knocking him down again. How? Coward asked. It is the will of my fraud of a god. Semenex answered before jabbing the taser in the coward's chest. He tossed the weapon back to Radifan and ran to Scar's bloodied body, grabbing his keycard, his taser, and the blade that was used countless times to smack against the cell doors. The two denarians turned left and sprinted to a specific cell across from Radifan's. Semenex used his keycard to unlock the door and glanced up as the hulking force known as Granik stepped out. With his thick, muscular frame, Large hands that could crush a crenation's skull, and eyes that could strike fear into his closest friends. Granik was a force to be reckoned with. And that very force looked down at Semenex and gave him a wide, toothy grin. The giant's matching brown shirt sported a symbol similar to the one on Radifan's torn shirt. Shorter than I thought, he said, over the rejoicing yell of their fellow denarians. Semenex used his keycard to open the two cells to the left of Granik's. A young woman with ash and dirt covering her face slowly stepped out of the first cell. She squeezed her eyes shut for a moment, looked up at her saviors, and gave a shaky half-smile. Another older denarian, with only a few tufts of hair left on his head, walked into the hallway. Semenex handed his keycard to the girl. You two start freeing the rest, he instructed. A voice from the end of the hallway shouted out, Guards! More are coming! We should hurry, Semenex said to the girl and the older man. They both leapt into action, releasing denarians from their cells, as Semenex, Granik, and Radifan raced down the hall to meet a cadre of approaching guards. Semenex tightened his grip on the blade he took from Scar. Granik and Radifan stood on either side of him, their blasters aimed and ready. A dozen guards ran into view, tasers on their belts and large rifles in their hands. Radifan and Granik opened fire, the laser blast striking the chests of the first two guards. Their brown-colored blood seeped out of their wounds and mouths as their yellow eyes rolled back. Semenex looked to his left and saw Granik reaching out, grabbing a guard by his neck and slamming him headfirst on the floor. 
Free prisoners stomped on the crenation and used him as a launching pad to attack the ones behind him. Semenex looked ahead and saw a crenation guard swinging a taser at him. The denarian ducked and swung the blade with both hands, cutting his adversary in the chest. To Semenex's right, the young girl continued opening one cell door after another. Denarians raced from their cells and wrapped their arms around any crenation in range, pulling them down, ducking out of the way of laser fire while stripping the weapons from their captors and distributing them to their fellow prisoners. Semenex pointed at Radifan. Do you know where the caverns are? he asked. Radifan looked up and down at his rifle. Once we get out of... He stopped as the running and shouting of more crenation guards echoed through the hallways. Semenex held his blade high over his head and motioned for all denarians with rifles to join him in front of the group. Everyone without a rifle, get behind us, he instructed. Granik stood behind him, holding his rifle over Semenex's head. Radifan, his blaster at the ready, stood to his left and motioned for everyone else to take a step back. A group of twenty crenation guards ran into view, each of them wielding their rifles. Fire! Semenex yelled. All denarians opened fire, cutting down their captors. Semenek stood in the middle of the melee, swinging his blade to deflect any blast heading toward him. The young girl and the older man continued freeing denarians as Semenex watched the unarmed prisoners crawling on the floor toward the rifles dropped by the crenations. Once they had them, they rolled out of the line of fire and created a significant advantage in numbers. Everyone against the wall, Semenex commanded. There must be more of them. The Denarian prisoners pressed their backs to the wall and followed him down the hall. Semenex reached the end of the wall and looked around the corner. He gulped as he saw another fleet of Crenation soldiers waiting for them at the end of the corridor. Their rifles were at their sides, and Semenex could see they were ready to aim and fire as soon as any Denarian was in range. Are there more? Granik asked, voice low. Semenex glanced back and nodded. What do we do? the young girl whispered. Semenex took a deep breath, looking up at the ceiling. Anything is better than here. His eyes met both Granix and Radifan's. Are you ready? Both smiled in response. Semenex ran toward the guards while swinging his blade, Granik and Radifan right behind him, and the Crenations took several steps back while the shouting of the Denarians behind him grew louder. Laser fire from Granik and Radifan, as well as the other prisoners, shot out all around Semenex, striking down the remainder of the guards. I like you already, Radifan yelled. As the last guard fell, Semenex walked up to the blank wall to his left and sliced a large, circular outline into the wall. He added a pentagon design at the bottom of the circle and the three lines protruding from it. The rest of the Denarian prisoners ran past the three men. Their cheers escalated into a frenzy when they saw the symbol on the Crenation prison's wall. They like you too, Granik said to Semenex. What's he doing? Matthew heard Nick's voice as he and Kelly, the Kraken, whispered back and forth about him, but he tuned them out as he held the tip of his pen in front of his left eye. He had his right eye shut, and in his point of view, he saw the tip of the pen in front of the round clock on the wall in the same position as the sword shape was on the symbol he had drawn over and over for the past seven years. The two hands on the clock showed it was ten minutes until three. They were in the perfect spot for him to hold up his pen. While everyone else just saw the weird, quiet kid holding the pen up to his eye, Matthew saw a piece of his world come to life. It made no difference to Matthew who stared or sneered. He was in the zone. 
Nothing beat the zone, where the origins of his cult-popular character came to life. So what if his methods struck snickers from classmates? Especially the six-feet-five classmates who wore Letterman's jackets. They weren't his audience. Excelsior lovers. They made up Matthew's audience. And to his relief, that audience was more than just him. The only element Matthew struggled with was scribbled on a piece of paper he tore from his steno notebook, a notebook he kept with him at all times, which was the closest resemblance to schoolwork he had written in his notebook in weeks. The paper read, One denarian year equals ten earth years. Denarian lifespan up to three hundred years, equaling three thousand earth years. Underneath were the words, Semenex's story, one thousand seven hundred earth years ago. Matthew considered how valuable Excelsior was for him as a means of escape as he ran his hand down the back of his head, picking a spitball out of his hair. He scratched his arm and wished that he had the type of muscles he had drawn for Seminex. Sure, he had little to no body fat, which was always a surprise to him considering the amount of fast food he ate, but he looked nothing like the hero he drew, the type of hero who would never have to endure taunting and spitballs. Once he finished writing about Seminex leading the charge through the prison doors, Matthew decided to focus on the artwork. It was nothing too complex, especially since he wasn't going to be putting this on his site. Just pencil today. No color required. He leaned forward on his desk and paid special attention to Seminex's appearance. He made sure his long and wild hair looked just right. It felt like it took him an hour to pencil in the eyes. Mr. Peters? Mr. Peters! When Mrs. Burton, the U.S. history teacher, spoke Matthew's name the second time, he looked up from his page. Why would she pick this moment to call on him? She always had a knack for interrupting him at the most important times. Matthew sat back in his seat. Yes, ma'am? Were you listening to what I was just saying? Matthew looked around the classroom, where he had somehow become the center of attention. All 23 of his fellow students sitting at their desks had their eyes focused on him. Even the eyes of the U.S. presidents on the classroom posters seemed to be looking directly at him, waiting for an answer. He took a deep breath and tried to collect himself. He reached under his sketch pad and looked at his textbook, open to a chapter on the Civil War. He decided to take a shot. About the slavery in the South? Mrs. Burton wouldn't let him off the hook. She never did. He would gladly endure another lecture after class about the importance of listening, but he was convinced Mrs. Burton thought it was more fun to just watch him squirm. What about it? she asked. Matthew could have told her anything regarding slavery, but only on the planet DNAP 4. After trying to come up with a suitable answer, he decided that this wasn't a battle of wills worth fighting. I'm not sure where you left off. Mrs. Burton nodded. See me after class, Matthew. I'd like a word with you. Matthew's chin dropped against his chest. Once again, he had let the work on his comic get in the way of his studies. While Mrs. Burton went on with the day's lessons, Matthew brooded. No matter how many times she would go out of her way to call him out in the classroom, something wouldn't allow the lessons to fully sink in. His comic always took precedence. Matthew allowed himself a moment to look up, and when he glanced to his left, he saw Rachel looking back at him. He gave a weak smile to the pale-skinned girl with the black pixie haircut, but she looked away. Matthew couldn't blame her. He definitely didn't feel like much of a catch. When the bell rang 15 minutes later, Matthew walked up to Mrs. Burton's desk. 
Mr. Peters, how many times this week have I had to interrupt the daily lesson so I could pull your mind back into the classroom? She asked. He knew the answer was four, but Matthew couldn't bring himself to say it out loud. I'm not sure. You don't seem to be sure about a lot of things lately, and you especially don't seem to want to pay attention. I'm doing all right, though, right? I got an 81 on the last test. She nodded. Yes, you have been doing fairly well, Matthew, but this isn't about the tests. It's about being involved in the class, and that requires you to listen to what is being said. If it seems like I'm being hard on you, it's only because I know the potential that you have, and getting by on a test doesn't show that you're working to your fullest. I'm trying to reach you, and you're either drawing or falling asleep. Do you do this in all of your classes? Matthew shook his head. No, he didn't do this in all of his classes, just the ones that didn't interest him. Maybe if Mrs. Burton was more like his English teacher, he would be more invested. Not only did Mrs. Webb create a much more fun atmosphere for learning, but she also encouraged him to move into creative writing. When he would give her an update on Excelsior's adventures, she would motivate him to keep going with it. She would tell him that he had something there. Matthew, am I losing you again? The raised voice was a hint that Mrs. Burton's patience with him was wearing thinner and thinner. I'm still here, Matthew answered as he snapped back to attention. I know you're here, but you're not here, she responded. I was asking you if everything was okay at home. Is something going on that's keeping you from getting a restful sleep? Matthew shook his head again. Everything's fine, he said, in a tone of voice that didn't even sound very convincing to himself. Mrs. Burton took a moment to write something down in her notepad before looking up at Matthew. Now, I know you're better than this. You're a very gifted young man, but you only show those gifts when you really apply yourself. And I know some of the classes you take aren't some of the most exciting in the world, especially for a young man about to graduate. But just keep in mind that after applying yourself in classes like this and working to your full potential, you can move on to what you really love, whatever it may be. The words, whatever it may be, floated around in Matthew's head as he forced out, I'm, I'm sorry. I know I've been losing concentration, but I'll try to do better in the future. He knew she meant well, but Matthew also knew she wouldn't understand what had occupied his time over the past several months. He may look like an underachieving scatterbrain or someone dealing with a less-than-stable home life, but the truth was that he was the lord and master of his own universe. The fate of an entire planet rested in his hands. His creations captured the imagination of hundreds, hopefully thousands of readers. I look forward to seeing that, she said. I'll see you tomorrow. Matthew nodded and exited the classroom into the crowded hallway, one step closer to freedom. We knew you would come. The Denarians followed a voice through the caverns of Yelsu, to which Seminex and Radifan had guided them. The further they walked, the darker it became. The clear sky had been a wonderful sight, and it was almost painful for the freed prisoners to hide from the fresh air and daylight. They walked through the caverns until they came to a large area, illuminated only by lit torches along the walls. Above each torch was the same symbol of Denarian defiance that Seminex carved into the wall of the Crunation prison. From the shadows stepped the source of the bellowing voice, a voice that should have belonged to a much younger man. With a soft white beard that reached the bottom of his neck and hugely dilated pupils that made his eyes look black, Aceris was known as simply the High Elder. 
Semenex recalled what his parents had told him about Aceris when he was a child. As the oldest of the last chosen ones, he was more respected and beloved than anyone else on the planet. As he stepped out of the shadows in his once white robe, the low torchlight reflected off the golden lettering visible on both sleeves. Semenex recognized the Denarian hieroglyphics that read, Ever Upward. All of the Denarians quickly fell to one knee. Aceris stepped closer to the men, women, and children. Five others wearing matching robes walked behind him. Two men and three women with the same bottomless dark eyes that showed varying degrees of age. The elders, Semenex heard Granik whisper while kneeling beside him. You have fought proudly for your lives and for your honor as Denarians, and you have equally honored our savior, Excelsior. In his absence, it is up to all of us to continue his vision and keep Dinab for the paradise he created. As Aceris cast his gaze over the free Denarians, another of the elders, Quinteris, stepped forward. His silver hair was similar in color and length to Radifan's, and his dark eyes allowed for a hint of light as he smiled. Radifan! Radifan looked up and smiled back. Father, it has been too long. Yes, I see, Quinteris said, glancing up and down at his son. The time in the Crenation prison has not been kind to you. We should get you to the regeneration chamber as soon as possible. Radifan shook his head. No, not until I know Noctarar is dead. We could sense you approaching, Quintera said. We knew you had found us when the sword began to hum. Granite glanced over to Radifan. The sword? He whispered. Radifan nodded. It must know of who led us to freedom. Semenex's long hair fell over his face as he kept his head lowered. After listening to the conversation between Quinteris and his son, he slowly stood before the elders. He could hear the gasps of the Denarians behind him. When Semenex spoke, his words held power that matched the elders. My parents spoke of you when I was a child. They spoke of how they saw Excelsior with their own eyes, and how you have predicted his eventual return. Aceris nodded with a smile. Your parents were correct in what they have taught you. As you are all aware, Excelsior watched over the planet he created for many ages before he arrived here to protect us and lead us to absolute prosperity. As the last generation of families privileged to be contacted by Excelsior, he watched over us all. He spread his arms out toward the elders before continuing. We have collectively waited for this moment when we would come face to face with the one worthy to bring him back to us. A female elder walked toward Semenex and placed a gentle hand on his shoulder. Semenex felt taken aback by the strength in Clyra's touch. Your parents, Gorsiris and Shirella, are forever honored by us, she said, her warm tone forcing tears into Semenex's eyes. By being the first to attempt escape from the grasp of the Crenations, they have lit the way for others to follow. They would be proud to see you here before us, a free man. Semenek stared at the ground again, too proud to let everyone around him, especially the elders, see his tears. The elder gave his shoulder another squeeze, which prompted Semenex to look into her dark eyes. There was something youthful about Clyera. She had short red hair that was only starting to lose its fire, a thin athletic frame, and a smile that granted Semenex a reassuring dose of confidence. As he looked into her eyes, Semenex started to regain his composure. 
The elders had sacrificed so much to ensure the memory of Excelsior would never die, and he did not want to appear weak. He wanted to be as strong as they were in will, as strong as they once were physically. Clyra pulled her hand away and stepped back as Aceris approached Seminex. The High Elder concentrated on the young man's pale blue eyes. He stood nose to nose with Seminex, the only sound coming from the flickering flames of the torches. Aceris's eyes began to widen. Seminex was the only Denarian close enough to hear the Elder's low whisper. I knew you were in there somewhere. As Seminex looked down at his chest, the High Elder nodded to the other Elders. They smiled, and Aceris addressed the free Denarians. It is decided, he declared, before turning around and walking toward the darkness. Seminex looked back at Granik and Radifan, who exchanged knowing glances. What is decided? Radifan leaned forward and answered in a soft voice. You will be given the sword. The elders believe the prophecy is coming true. The prophecy? Seminex nervously asked. You mean... The sword? Come forward, my young friend, Aceris called out. Seminex glanced back at his fellow freed prisoners, and after Radifan gave him a nod of encouragement, he stepped forward. The elders cleared a path for the young man as he walked into the chamber at the end of a long hallway. One pure beam of light came down the center of the small room, and inside the light was a beautiful gleaming sword and a metallic sheath bolted to the floor. At the end of the handle was a round jewel that emitted a golden-purple glow, and the blade itself was flawless, polished to perfection. Seminex looked at the elders in confusion, and Aceris beckoned for him to step forward and go to the sword. The young man walked to the sheathed weapon, moving his eyes up and down in wonder. All his life he had known of this sword as not only the weapon of choice for Excelsior, but also the shell that held his life force. As Seminex walked around the metallic sheath, the jewel at the end of the sword began to release a low, deep humming sound that echoed through the chamber. He crouched down to examine the purple jewel, and the closer he got to it, the louder the humming became. The High Elder's eyes lit up with joy as he clasped his hands together. So this is the one the sword sensed. It is true. Seminex stood back and looked at the elders. What is true? Another elder spoke. Excelsior has returned to us. Seminex took a moment to let Triceris' words soak in. Me? He pointed to himself. Can it really be me? Ducera, a female elder who looked as old as Aceris, spoke up. Her long white hair matched the color of her robe. It can, young men. And it is. The legend decrees that when the one worthy to carry Excelsior's life force approaches the sword... The jewel within it will make us aware. That has become a reality. The sword has spoken. You are the one. Aceris spoke again. Go on, Seminex. All you have to do is hold the sword, and he will take care of the rest. Seminex still couldn't believe it. This is all true? The elders nodded, waiting in anticipation for Seminex to reach out and grab the sword. The young man's heart began to pound in his chest as he extended his right hand and wrapped his fingers around the handle of the sword. Matthew breathed a sigh of relief as he walked through the school's exit doors, making an immediate left toward the faculty parking lot. The next section was the student parking lot, and the MTA bus beckoned from beyond that. His eyes stayed on the bus, anxious to get him from the bus to the R-train, 
that would take him to Northern Boulevard. He had survived the wrath of Mrs. Burton, and now he could go home to complete this crucial point in the story, a close-up of Aceris, the High Elder. Matthew felt compelled to pay as much attention as possible to the eyes of the elders during this time, before they would be just black holes in their faces, a very simplistic way of showing what years below DNAP 4's surface did to them. But as his artistic skills developed more and more, he kept the pupils black while the whites of their eyes would be replaced by a dull gray. As Matthew walked past the faculty parking lot, he felt a tap on his shoulder. Hey, Matt! Matthew turned around. Hey, Thomas, what's up? With his thick tortoiseshell glasses, cropped curly hair, and fat stomach hanging above his scrawny bird legs, Thomas was a walking kick-me sign, and his jeans showed the dirt stains from the jock's shoes. Is that the next issue? Thomas asked as he pointed to Matthew's sketchpad. The next one's already set to go online tonight. This is something else I'm working on. Thomas reached for the sketchbook. Let me see! Matthew pushed the book against his chest as they continued walking past the student parking lot. Not yet. It's not ready. Come on! I helped you set up the webpage in the first place. Let me see what you're working on! You weren't much of a help getting me to link up to the main search pages. I had to do that myself. Let me see! Thomas's voice grew louder, and Matthew glanced at the five members of the wrestling team who were now pointing in their direction. Matthew glanced at the jocks and lowered his voice in the hope that Thomas would take the hint. No, dude, I told you before, nobody sees anything in the book, not until it goes online. Just let it go. A cold sweat ran down the back of Matthew's neck as he recognized two wrestlers, Nick and Kelly, getting closer. He gritted his teeth as he hissed at Thomas. Nick and Kelly can hear! What's going on, girls? Nick called out, stopping Matthew and Thomas in their tracks. Kelly released a hearty laugh as he gave a hard slap to Thomas's stomach. Thomas yelped out in pain and would have dropped to one knee if Nick hadn't grabbed him from under his arm and kept him on his feet. Suck it up, the wrestling captain instructed as he kept Thomas upright. You know, our papers are due tomorrow and I'm still waiting for that email from you. The bulky Kelly became a human barricade blocking Matthew from Nick and Thomas. The wrestler stared him down with a look that reminded him why Kelly was nicknamed the Kraken. He pointed at the bus and instructed, Go home and do your cartoons, freak. Matthew wanted to scream out, Got a problem with my webcomics? Too many words to read? But he turned and walked away, while the guilt of leaving Thomas to his fate tied his stomach in a knot. As Seminex held on to the sword's handle, he watched the jewel begin to glow and hum even louder than before. Nervous, he tried to pull his hand away, but he couldn't release his grip. His hand fused to the handle as energy pulsated from the sword into his palm and up his arm. His eyes widened with fear, and he looked beseechingly at the elders. Yes, Seminex, Ducera encouraged. Just allow it to happen. The energy continued to move slowly through Seminex's body, and in spite of his fear... He couldn't feel any pain. In fact, there was a cooling sensation traveling up to his head and concentrating on his brain. Semenek saw sudden flashes before his eyes, flashes of another lifetime, of another person wielding the Sword of Excelsior and lashing out at his enemy. He couldn't see the enemy since his face hid in the shadows, but as these moments passed, Semenek started to feel both more and less like himself. A stronger man. A warrior. A leader. As the energy bathed his body, his muscles began to tighten and enlarge. His cuts, bruises, and scars disappeared 
along with the dirt and ash from his cell. In the space of a few seconds, the wiry young denarian became a powerful warrior of glowing health. The locks on the metallic sheath opened, freeing the sword. Semenex looked down at his hand, pulled the sword from the sheath, and saw himself in the metal's reflection. His eyes were the same pale blue that they were before, only now they glimmered with an amethyst glow that matched the sword's jewel. Aceris walked up to Semenex and placed a hand on his muscular shoulder. Excelsior, it is good to have you back, old friend, he said with a smile. Dinapor's guardian smiled back. It is good to be back. <laughs>